I've coined something called evergreen marketing and hamstrow marketing, right? Uh, hamstrow marketing is marketing. You, you just get going and, and while you're, while you're on the hamstrow, while you're working the thing, results are going to happen. That's knocking on doors. That's cold calling. Um, direct mail, I think is, is a form of that. Um, and at the start, even driving for dollars yourself is a form of hamstrow marketing. And we always suggest people, you've got to start off with that stuff because that's where you get the quickest result. That's where you get the immediate feedback and you can start to make action happen faster. Um, as you grow, then we suggest people start to build in elements of what we call evergreen marketing. And we can talk about some of that later. A form of, of, of that might be starting to build a team on the deal machine side, right? You learning how to do deal machine, but then you stepping out of it and now you're starting to build a team and that, that machine's working for you or there in the hamstrel for you. And so in, in those early days, zero dollars to a hundred thousand dollars, you've got to be on the hamstrel wheel. You've got to hustle. Uh, you know, I, I, I know there's like the grind culture that people like grind, grind, wake up and grind. Uh, you should only really be grinding for seasons. So you shouldn't be grinding forever. The Deal Machine REI Podcast. Everything you need to know to get started in real estate investing. Do you want to go from working a job that you hate to living a life that you love? We're here on the Deal Machine Real Estate Investing Podcast to help you make that transition with the proven business model of wholesaling real estate. And on the show today, we've got a very special guest, but I wanted to reintroduce you to my co-host first because it wasn't too long ago that he made the exact same transition. So Ryan was working a sales job and they changed his commission structure and overworked him. So he took a 14-day wholesaling real estate challenge with no experience at all. And he made $8,500. And that was actually step two of his wholesaling challenge was creating a web presence so that people knew he was actually out there looking for rundown houses that he could make $8,500 from for finding. And on the show today, we've got Trevor Mock, who created the website that Ryan actually activated for his own business, carrot.com the number one website platform for real estate investors who are looking for those wholesale deals. So before I introduce Trevor, uh, I just wanted you guys to be inspired by that story because Ryan has now achieved over 400 deals. So if you guys have gotten any value from this podcast so far on any previous episodes, please take a moment and drop us a review. It gives us, uh, it helps us make more content for you to get you over the edge to financial freedom and of course, make sure you're subscribed. So now a little bit more about Trevor, okay? He's actually helped thousands and thousands of people go from a job they hate to a life they love through the business of wholesaling real estate. Their company, Carrot, was actually helped, uh, it was actually acknowledged as one of the fastest growing companies in America at least three years in a row. A couple other fun facts. He has the most beautiful wife and three kids that he could ask for. And he also bought a four-unit multifamily real estate investment property when he was 21. And he's been in the industry for a couple of decades. He was a Portland Business Journal 40 under 40, uh, 40 on, um, honoree. And he had a 3.98 GPA. <laughs> so Trevor, man, it's it's great to have you on here. What did you think of the random facts I found from your bio to where, where'd you talk about on this podcast? Where, where'd you find the GPA one? I don't even decade. Know. <laughs> oh, 
It's on there. That's awesome. Oh, that is funny. Yeah, that's called SEO ranks. There we go. Yeah, fun fact on that one. It was on your website. Uh, I I I need. I haven't looked at my own personal website in a little while. Yeah, fun fun fact on there that the only B I got in college was from a a uh, chemistry class I took in high school that was for college credit. Uh, I took like the easiest program at the college I went to, so I, I wouldn't put too much stock in that GPA. That's for sure. But um, dude, I'm I'm I'm. I want you what mine is. It's got to be like below one. <laughs> one G. It's got to be because I dropped out. So that'd be interesting to find. And dude, still, still though, Trevor, you know that GPA is pretty high. Did did you actually ever put that on a resume and get a traditional job after college? No, I I, I never did. I never I never had a job. So what the reason I got a good GPA honestly in college is because I thought I wanted to be an attorney. Um, I, I had this, I had this amazing professor in what should have been like the most boring college class at school, which is business law. And, and he honestly got, got my start in real estate. So his name was Ari DeGroote. Uh, he was just, he was an attorney. He was a real estate investor. He was so passionate about how he talked about business law and he would actually bring in, he would bring in his real estate deals, uh, as a way to actually teach us about business law. And it was really, really cool. And I was going, man, if this guy's passionate about life in the way that he is, and this is what he does, he's an attorney and a real estate investor, I want to do what he does. And so I knew to get into law school, I had to get good grades. Um, I got 50% of that right. I, uh, I, I became a real estate investor, but I did not make it into any law school, applied to six of them uh, because I flunked the LSAT test to get into law school two times. So completely failed that part of it, but I'm actually grateful and pumped that I never went into law. But that's how it started. Yep. Oh, so funny. So yeah, it's. I'm sure that was pretty sad for you at the time not to get in. But I mean, you've been very successful. Uh, I'd be surprised if if the lawyer that was your mentor uh, was as successful as you are. And I'm curious, how did you get started then in real estate investing from that point if you didn't have a regular job? Yeah, so for for me, David, um, I'd, I'd I'd always had people around me. Not always, but I remember it was probably second or third grade. Um, my dad lost his job, and so I remember during that time, my dad lost his job. My mom didn't have a job, and both my mom and dad in that year started businesses, and they just like out of necessity started companies, and they're small businesses, small local businesses. But I think growing up in that and, and literally spending the weekends packing tables and chairs and setting up tents for weddings for my mom's business and washing equipment on the wash rack for my dad's you know construction equipment room company. Um, it just taught me that you can go out there and create your own thing, that if you have a, a need, you can go create a business. Um, but what, what it also taught me, David, I mean, this was kind of the precursor into, into real estate. It also taught me what I did not want to do in business. Uh, we, we literally lived above the business. Um, you know, just like on some of those TV shows, right. Where the business is downstairs, the, the like auto, physically, yeah, physically the, the, the auto shop, you know, is downstairs or whatever. And everyone lives upstairs. We lived upstairs for about 10 years. And so we, my dad lived at his, at his job. He was working a lot. And so that was a great example in two ways. One, one of them inspiring me that I can go start my own company. But number two, I didn't want it to be anything like my dad's right. Um, so then when I was in, 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 in uh, college, I tried a few different things. I'm like, I want to be a landscaper. And so I went out there and I love the creative part of landscaping. 
and I would go sell landscaping jobs and I'd recruit my baseball buddies. Uh, we would pull out on a weekend and we would jam out like a four day landscaping job in two days. Cause I get like four or five baseball buddies, pay them some money. We'd be there for 12 hours a day, getting it done. And we did a few, few different, pretty, you know, pretty big scale landscaping jobs for a cup, you know, for a handful of college guys. And I discovered, I don't want to do that. I'm like, dude, I don't want to, I don't want to be breaking my back my whole life doing landscaping. And then that's where Ari DeGroote came in and he started talking about real estate and he was showing, showing how these deals were put together. And I remember, uh, this would have been shoot early 2000s. So I graduated college in 2005. Um, I didn't have a computer at home. Like we didn't have cell phones. I mean, this shows, this shows, this dates me a little bit, right? It's turned 41, but we didn't have cell phones where we could browse the internet or anything, or at least I didn't. And so I would go to the, the school library and literally I was Googling and I found this one website called Cree Online, C-R-E online.com. Have you guys ever seen or heard of that site? It it was like bigger pock. No, but is that stand for commercial real estate? Yeah, it was creative real estate. Uh, yeah, Cree Online, creative real estate. I don't know what the E was. I guess it was real estate. But um, it was like bigger pockets before bigger pockets was bigger pockets. And there were forums on there, all kinds of stuff. And that's how I learned the start of it. And then uh, this is this is where I picked up the first property. My dad knew I was interested in real estate, but I was one of the guys who was like literally studying it for six months, could answer all the questions in the forums, but I didn't had never done a deal. I was one of those guys at that time, you know. And I was talking to my dad about it. He's like, "Hey, I've got this." Uh, he, he saw the the Carlton Sheets infomercial, like straight up Carlton Sheets, and he goes, "I'll buy that course for you if you promise to do a deal with that course." within this next 12 months. And if you don't do it, here's the handshake. If you don't do it, you got to pay me 500 bucks for the course. I go, okay, let's do it. So he bought the course and- uh, so the pressure is on. Pressure is on. And about month eight, I acquired a four unit apartment building by the college. Uh, no money down, straight up Carlton Sheets stuff. It cash flowed from day one. Uh, put, I had no credit. I had no money. Um, I didn't have bad credit. I had no credit, like no credit, right? No credit, no money, no job history, nothing. And I was able to acquire a four-unit building. And I still own that today. His cash flow every day since then. So that's how I got my start. Wow, that's amazing. I love that you still own that building. Yeah, I, I, I still own it. We, uh, we, we right now, we're repositioning the property a little bit. And, and uh, you know, it's got all new roof, new siding, new paint, new windows. Uh, and one by one, we're renovating the inside of it. And we've been able to get rents up quite a bit. So it, it's been a, an amazing, amazing cash flower. I love that. So actually very similar to how many of our listeners are trying to get into real estate investing. You didn't have to use money to buy that property. Uh, although the slight difference, a lot of our listeners are trying to wholesale a property. Um, and I know a lot of Carrot customers are also wholesaling. What what percentage would you say of Carrot customers are wholesaling? Dude, it, it, it's most. You know, it's probably, probably 90% plus, whether they're wholesaling houses or mobile homes you know, manufactured homes or, or flipping land mm -hmm. uh, between the three. Uh, it's, it's a lot. And a lot of them end up graduating towards multifamily or graduating yeah. towards holding homes. But I, I suggest everyone start with wholesaling and then you can take that cash stack it and start to buy um, assets over the long term. If you want. How would you describe to somebody what wholesaling is? You know, cause if you go to like a family reunion and you tell your family, well, this is what I'm doing. They're kind of kind of glaze over. Dude, the, the, the easiest way that I've found to explain it 
Um, and I, I've, I've explained it this way to some real estate agents too, where if the real estate agent has a, a misconception around what wholesaling is, um, I go, no, here, here's, or, or, or why someone would accept a, an offer less than the value of the home. Like that's the thing people can't get over. Why would someone accept an offer that's less than the value of the home, right? I say, well, let's say you're going to go buy a car. Now you're going to go, you're going to go down to the car lot and you're going to look at cars and you're paying retail for that car, right? You're paying retail, whatever that is. But the first thing that they're going to ask you when you're signing those papers is, hey, do you have a car you want to trade in? And we all know what a trade-in is. A trade-in is I've got a car. I'm going to sell it to you. You're going to give me a price. I know the price is less than what um, I could sell it for if I went to Craigslist or Facebook Marketplace and did all the hassle that w goes with that, right? Listing it, have a person come in, uh, you know, sit in the car next to them so they're drive as they test drive it so they don't steal my car. And I've got to figure out what kind of paperwork to do and all the hassles that go with it. And then I might be able to make an extra two, three, four, five grand. I say, well, that's wholesale. Okay, so you bought retail and you're selling to them wholesale. They're essentially buying that property wholesale. They might clean it up a little bit and they're going to put it back on market, sell it retail. Okay, there's a wholesale market and a retail side of the market. People start to understand that. And I say, well, the, the main difference is that these are just bigger numbers. It's house. And so someone might want to part ways from the house more quickly. Maybe it's a hoarder house or maybe they, they had all any one of these situations and you're able to come in and and purchase the house or put it under contract in this case for a rate that works for you and it works for them. Then you can take that contract and go find someone who's ultimately going to buy that house um, at a higher price. And then you make, you make the difference. But I, I think everyone can relate to the car one. Everyone's traded in a car or asked, been asked to trade in a car. That is a really good explanation. And one that I have not heard before. And that makes a lot of sense. That would help me out if I was trying to explain to somebody what wholesaling is. And then at what point, okay, so we started the podcast talking about, let's go from a job that you really don't like and let's create a life that you love. Now it is a process and you have to go through certain stages of that, right? And so uh, I'm curious, have you thought about like, what that looks like breaking down the stages. Maybe we could even ask Ryan, right? Because Ryan, you you did that in 2019. Yeah, um, when we started, so we started out with obviously the 30 day wholesaling challenge, and it wasn't at. It was after that that first that 30 day window. We went to the We Live Real Estate Investing Conference. It was 2020. It was January, so it was like. Same time that we were getting started was when we went to this conference. And honestly, to to make that story set in a little bit more, we still, we had only closed one transaction. So the investment to go to this conference, I don't know, it was maybe like two, $2,500. It was still a lot for like Megan and I to commit to spend $2,500 to go to this conference. But it was at the conference that we learned on the whole process, like we're hearing a bunch of other people on how they grew their business. And when you go out into the foyer there, there you see a table with carrot and I'm like, well, what is carrot? So like you get introduced to those things for us, we got introduced to those things early in the process, which only helped escalate our growth. It put our growth, it gave us a little bit more tools on how to get rid of our deals or how to sell our deals. It gave us tools on how to how to bring people to our business um, as buyers. So that's kind of just a quick 
little how we came into Carrot and how it changed how we were introduced to those extra pieces of the puzzle beyond the 30-day wholesaling challenge to help us scale the business just a little bit. It's only a a step up. It's not like you're saying you're by getting a site, you're scaling massive. It's it's a step in the right another stepping stone in the right direction to be able to scale. Mm-hmm. Trevor, is that pretty typical? Um, you know, Ryan's got like a team now. I know a lot of people that use Deal Machine, they they start off their solo entrepreneurs. So um, what what do you think are some characteristics that helps people get to where Ryan's at? Yeah, dude, the, the way the way I like to think about business and business growth is is there's levels, right? There's zero to 100,000. There's 100,000 to 300,000. There's three to 300,000 to a million, million to three, three to 10, and so on. And in, in that hundred in that zero to hundred thousand dollar mark, right? You're just trying to get your first basic wins. You're you're trying to figure out the basic habits you need to adopt, the basics of the skill sets, and and usually at that phase, what I've found uh, is we're usually running away from something, right? We're, we're usually running away from a job we don't like. We're running away from an income ceiling that we can't tap in in that career. We're trying to prove people wrong that are saying we can't do something. We're, re- we're usually running away from something to start this new business. And that really fuels us in those early days, right? That fuels us in those early days. And that makes it so when you're working your butt off in that first one, two, three years, trying to get your first deal, your first 10 deals, oftentimes it doesn't feel as much like work because it's energizing. You're building something, right? And in, in those first initial phases, what we suggest people do is uh, I, 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 I've coined something called evergreen marketing and hamstrow marketing, Right. Uh, hamstrow marketing is marketing. You, you just get going, and and while you're while you're on the hamstrow, while you're working the thing, results are going to happen. That's knocking on doors. That's cold calling. Um, direct mail, I think, is is a form of that. Um, and at the start, even driving for dollars yourself is a form of hamstrow marketing. And we always suggest people you've got to start off with that stuff because that's where you get the quickest result. That's where you get the immediate feedback, and you can start to make action happen faster. Um, as you grow, then we suggest people start to build in elements of what we call evergreen marketing. And we can talk about some of that later. A form of, of, of that might be starting to build a team on the deal machine side, right? You learning how to do deal machine, but then you stepping out of it and now you're starting to build a team and that, that machine's working for you or there in the hamstrow for you. And so in, in those early days, zero dollars to a hundred thousand dollars, you've got to be on the hamstrow. You've got to hustle. Uh, you know, I, 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 I know there's like the grind culture that people like grind, grind, wake up and grind. Uh, you should only really be grinding for seasons. You shouldn't be grinding forever. And it, if if you literally think about what grinding is, the actual picture of grinding, you look at the gears, eventually grinding breaks all the gears and it doesn't work. It stops moving. And so just in, in the early yeah. days, know that it's going to be a hard work. It's going to be a grind maybe to get the first, uh, you know, the, the first deals da- done. So you now have processes that you can repeat and you can plug people in and you have enough money now to actually hire people and plug people in. And so that that's what I usually see in the, that first phase, David, is you got to hustle, pick one marketing method that you can just hit hard like deal machine and go drive for dollars, get your first deal, pop that 8,500 bucks, pop that 10K, whatever it is, take that, keep on doing that thing because it worked. But now take part of that money, go have a steak dinner with 200 bucks, celebrate it. But now take take the rest of it and go reinvest it into more marketing, either paying people to drive for you so you can scale it out and or starting evergreen marketing or another paid a paid method too. Love it. 
that was so clear to me the way you said when we start our businesses, we're often trying to move away from something like a job that we don't like. And a huge difference into why Ryan has been so successful is because he started out right away with something that was going to get him a quick result, which is important, right? You don't want to burn out and you don't want to tire. But then the way he's sustained is then he has gotten away from just those quick result activities and done some more evergreen marketing as you're talking yep. about. So what are, what are some of the longer term things you can set up mm -hmm. that are evergreen marketing? Because we covered the, the immediate result stuff. Yeah, dude. So let, let me, let me jump up to the mindset side of things first. So, um, let's say someone crosses a hundred thousand, they, they have a track record. They've got a few deals done. It might be just them at this point. It might be them and an assistant, at EA or a VA or something at this point. Um, and then, then they start to get some more deals done. They're doing 200 to 300,000 a year and, and things start to get hard again, like they did at the beginning, right? They start to get hard because now they're running around, they're working overtime and they haven't learned how to delegate effectively potentially at that phase. And you need to learn how to delegate tasks to, in order to grow past 300,000 a year in revenue. Otherwise you're going to cap out at the three to five. And so out around that time, what, what I, what I suggest people do, and then I'm going to dig into the evergreen marketing part of it is, is make sure that you're, you're writing down, like, what are the things that give me energy? What are the things that give me energy that when I'm done doing these things, I have more energy now than when I started. And recognize those things that give you energy because you need to continually around that time when you start to have some more revenue where you can invest it back into people to help you do things, you need to continually trade off energy drains for energy gifts. If you love doing sales and you love talking to, talking to sellers, but man, it, it takes everything out of you to do whatever, like to work on your website or to, to do this or to do that or to be inside of your CRM or to do your email. Uh, you can just na name any of those things to follow up with title, whatever it is. Like for me, I know this is simple, but I hate having to call my bank to get a wire like submitted. And so it was probably three or four years ago, I started having my assistant do all that stuff for me. So I just now text my assistant, hey, I've got a private loan. About 300, I, I wired out 320 grand yesterday um, to one of our clients to, to close a deal. And all it, all it took was a text message to my, to my, my assistant. I get a phone call from the bank. I confirm something, bam, that's out. That would take me. Three, three or four hours before because I'd want to avoid every part of reaching out to the bank and talking with someone and getting it initiated. But figure out those things that drain your energy versus give you energy um, and step into that more. On on the marketing side, there's two different parts to evergreen marketing. Uh, there's offline evergreen marketing, there's online evergreen marketing. And essentially, all that evergreen marketing is, is you do something one time and it works for you over and over again for potentially years to come, Okay. The, the drawback with evergreen marketing is it takes work. Like it takes work and takes time to build momentum. Uh, evergreen marketing is all about momentum. Amtual marketing is all about uh, quick feedback and quick results. Um, and so a couple of forms of evergreen marketing. The offline is relationship building. You know, what uh, some of the most successful wholesalers or flippers that I know are people who have built amazing relationships with local wholesalers. Right, they're getting their deals sent to them from less lesser experienced wholesalers, and you just show up to the RIAs. You create your own networking events, whatever it is, and and you're not going to all of a sudden have everyone send you deals after showing up two or three or four times. But after showing up ten times and adding value, or twenty times, or thirty times, or doing it for six months or for a year, and letting people know you're buying deals, you'd love to help them with their hard deals. And hey guys, if you're, there's a deal you don't know how to close, send it to me. That's offline evergreen. 
because it's going to work for years to come now because you're starting to build that relationship, right? Online evergreen marketing, it's kind of similar, but it, it's basically getting in front of your prospects. In this case, we're going to talk sellers, motivated house sellers. It's getting in front of the flood of motivated house sellers that are searching Google 24 hours a day to sell their homes, getting in front of them on Google. So your website is always there as a sales tool for you. You can be on vacation for two weeks and you'll still be getting seller leads coming in and you won't have to knock on doors. You won't have to do those types of things, but it does take work to build it up. Um, and right now across our system, it's about about 12,000 websites across our system. Our clients dominate motivated house seller search phrases uh, in every MSA across America uh, and Canada. Our clients dominate it. And so if you were to type in like something. What's an MSA? I don't even know what that stands for, dude, but it's it's what people say. But it's like the uh, the metropolitan area. Maybe it's metropolitan service area. I don't know. Okay. I might have just made that up. But yeah. Anyway, it's it's the the metro areas, right? So there's like 200 and something metro areas. Gotcha. Line. But anyway, it's like sell my house fast, Dallas. We buy houses, whatever. Cash home buyers, Duluth. Duluth. Those types of phrases are phrases sellers are typing every right. day. You get in front of them, that's evergreen. Right. So if you're listening to this right now, and uh, you you know you're actually just getting started. Uh, one of the reasons that a website can be super helpful, it, it does take time to rank on those pages sometimes, but you could put the actual website on your postcard. A lot of times people will Google your business to look you up before they make a phone call. So that can be very beneficial right away if you're just starting out. And then also I was curious, Trevor, if you could pull up Ryan's website uh, so that we could see kind of what you get and then maybe give him a few tips on what he might be able to do to rank better so that he could start to get those leads when people Google so his website shows up for Heck yeah. Something that takes a little longer to set up, but is worth it because you get those leads without being on the hamster wheel. Let's do it. Let's do it. So I, I think you guys should be able to see my screen. If you guys are just listening to the audio version of this, I'm sure there's a link to the YouTube or go to YouTube and look up Deal Machine, uh, find this this video in there because there's some good stuff, but we'll also um, articulate it as well as we can on, on uh, audio. And so the, the first thing, like, like you mentioned, David, and I'm, I'm going to kind of walk through the things that I see and the things uh, when I'm working with our highest level clients, uh, the things that we help them do. Uh, I was on a call a week and a half ago with Eric. He's the COO of a company called rapid fire home buyers. Uh, they'll, they'll do, you know, uh, not quite eight figures, but close to eight figures this year in a couple different markets. And they're absolutely crushing offline and online. And the first thing I always look for is exactly what you mentioned, David, is I call it decision phase marketing. It's if you're doing cold calling, direct mail, driving for dollars, radio ads, TV ads, billboards, if you're doing any of that, that type of stuff, offline marketing drives online demand, right? So if you're sending the postcard or if you're talking to someone or if you're text messaging them, what we inherently do is we're going to Google the company name and see like, who is this company? Are they legit? Or are they real? Do they have reviews on them? Right? Let's say I'm working with two or three different house buying companies and you guys and gals listening to this podcast, maybe you've sent some postcards using the deal machine or text messages or phone calls using the deal machine app. There are going to be sellers who wonder who you are and they're going to Google your phone number. They're going to Google your name after you talk to them. And now they've talked to two or three investors potentially, and then they're going to go, which one should I work with? And they're going to hit the internet and they're going to search your company name or anything that's identifiable. So that's always the first thing 
that I'll tend to do uh, with the website is number one, are they ranking for their brand? You know, are they ranking for their brand? That's number one. So I'm going to pop in, in the back end of here and I'm going to go to the keyword explorer inside of carrot. And I'm just going to um, put in this URL. My internet might be lagging a little bit here uh, with the stream. I'm not in my office, y'all. So if you guys are seeing the video, you guys aren't getting my fancy background like normal. But the, the first thing that I do is I'll want to put the URL inside of Google and just see, like, um, number one, are they ranking for their brand search phrase? You can, you guys can do this yourself uh, with no tools. Just type up your company name plus the word reviews or company name plus location and see what it's ranking for. So I put in uh, Ryan's Motivated Health Seller website. And, um, and there's a lot of opportunity here. So their, their top rankings right now, number four and number five, or heritage home investments. And so I'm actually gonna go to Google. I wanna see what's ranking number one or number two. And this is critical because, um, so it looks like it's your other carrot site for this one. So your other carrot site is ranking number one for yep. this one. This, there's a couple things we can adjust on this one. I'll give you some, some tips and pointers. Your IG is number two. So the first thing I'm gonna do guys is you've got to tighten up that decision phase. The point when a seller is gonna make a decision on who to work with You've got to be bringing credibility. You've got to be building trust and you've got to be putting that in front of them on the internet where they're going to be searching for you. Uh, the, the thing I always talk with people about is I say, you know, what's your average profit per deal? And they'll say 15,000 bucks or whatever the number is. And I'll say, awesome. Um, how many deals are you okay with losing this year because of underperformance on your website or underperformance on your trust and credibility? And odds are most people are losing more than one deal a year and they don't even know it. I call it a phantom expense. It's money that should be in your bank account that is not mm -hmm. because someone did a Google search on you and they found less things online that built trust and credibility with them than someone else. And we, we all know the dynamic. You go to Amazon yep. and you go to buy a product on Amazon. Who on here is ever going to buy a product that has no reviews on it? Nobody. Reviews. No one's ever going to buy it. But, it, but then we're going to compare the two products. What do we compare the two products? And we're going to compare the two products and reviews and trust and credibility because we want assurance that that pair of shoes we're going to buy is the right one. Can you imagine when it's someone's house, how much they're going to look at this stuff? It's far more than people realize. So your IG popped up here and it's perfect what I'm seeing here. What I'll, what I'll find a lot of the times, Ryan, is someone's Instagram profile or their Facebook profile pops up as one of the top ones for their, their, their brand. And it's empty or it hasn't been active in two years. And in that seller, oh. sees that, they, they might go, Jeez, yeah, yeah, I don't know. Are they, are they really active? So you're doing a good job here. A couple right. of things we have found have been very valuable. Um, and I would highly suggest it here, Ryan, is Google search rankings are actually being impacted quite a lot right now by Google reviews. And so get your Google My Business profile claim. That's free to do. We've got a training we can send you if you want, but get that Google My Business profile claimed and start to add some pictures in there, link it to your website, things like that, um, and then start to get some reviews in there. And we have found about once you hit 15 reviews on Google yeah. My Business, that's where we start to see a ranking impact. You start, it starts to help rank for other things too, which is cool. Um, but popping, over, popping back over here, that's the first thing, guys. Tighten up the decision phase. So when people are searching for you from your other marketing, it actually converts people even better. Uh, the next thing, once they actually land on the website, then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you a, a couple things here is I always want people to focus on if someone lands here, do they feel like they're 
um, able to uh, you garner more trust that your service is going to help them out, that, you, that, you're, that you're trustworthy. And so the about page is always about the number three most visited web page across any of our websites, 10,000 plus websites across our, our network. That's how I learned. That's how I learned you have a 3.98 DPA. <laughs> that's right, man. That's right. Exactly that way. So, so the, the, the biggest thing we need to have a really good about page because that's the number three, the most visited page people will land on your homepage or what we, what we call location pages. And then they go, cool. It looks like they're, they have a service that can help me out. They can buy houses and they buy houses quickly, but then they're going to go, who are they? Are they trustworthy? They're going to look for reviews and number four most of it is the webpage across all of our thousands of client sites. No matter if they're cash buyer or motivated sellers is reviews. And so immediately people go, yes, they have a service, but now can I trust them? And it's that trust where people fall off. It's how many of those 15,000 or 20,000 or $25,000 deals are we losing at that point where they're making a decision? So let me show you an example or two. Um, this is a guy named Alex Youngblood. And like I said, my internet's kind of dragging a little bit. Um, but Alex Youngblood, many of you guys might know him. He he runs the largest wholesaling Facebook group um, on the internet. It's called Wholesaling Houses Full-Time. And so Alex moved over to Carrot from a custom site years ago. And if you were to, let's say, to land on Alex's site, that is a Carrot site also, that's got you know localized photos in there, credibility built in there, links to his BBB, links to his Google reviews, links to his Facebook. He has some videos so people can see and trust and we found that when video done well are on your page that increases conversion um it has a little picture of him here's who i am here's what we do bunch of reviews on here uh, you can go see more of them it talks about his experience you know we've helped 200 um you know people thousand houses bought a um, bunch of stuff okay you go to his, his about page um wherever it is right here you go to his about page you're going to find something similar I'm going to go, cool. I get to kind of learn about Alex a little bit. He's, he's a dude and he's a real guy and he doesn't look like an ax murderer. And, and he has some things that he helps people with. Um, this is kind of a basic about page, but this right here is going to help increase conversion in a big way. Um, let me show you guys one last thing he calls his testimonials, but then he's got reviews and testimonials over here. So now a lot of people might be on this call saying, I'm just getting going. Right? How the heck do I compete against a guy like Alex or a guy like Ryan or David? Um, and that that is an update I would uh, encourage you to make, Ryan, or we can work with you on it, is getting as many reviews on your site, getting that Google My Business up, um, and then starting to yeah. build more credibility on there. That is going to win deals. We have data that proves that, that it does in a big way. Um, Amazing. So to get started out of the box in like 30 seconds, you can set up a website that is stacked with a lot of cool stuff you could put on your postcard makes you look credible yeah. but then some tips to rank higher is to uh, start building reviews and every time you might do a deal maybe take a video mm -hmm. you know at the closing table and maybe put that on your website yep. um what uh what yeah what are the other and then making sure your about page is personalized i know you said with local photos um and then anything else uh, that you'd want to just tack onto that bullet point list yeah, for, for sure. So I'll, I'll give a couple that are specific uh, to you, Ryan, as well, because I think they'll be way applicable to everyone else. Um, so this is just a little sample site that we have live. Um, it's not a real, you know, investor behind it. It actually does get leads funny enough, but we don't mean for it to, it's just a sample <laughs> site. Um, 
but the, the, the first couple things I would have people do, like you're saying, David, localize it, right? Get it. So when people land on that site, if you're in the Northeast, you shouldn't have a house with a cactus by it. If you're in, if you're in Phoenix, Arizona, you shouldn't have, you know, uh, a house with whatever New England has on it. Green grass. Exactly. So the first thing you're going to want to do is our website's out of the Less box. green grass. <laughs> exactly. At out of the box, the websites are going to have a lot of content on them. And now, so what, one thing that, that some people will say is, oh my gosh, you know, I, I don't want a website with all that content. Uh, I, I want a website that just has like a lot of white space and it looks like Apple and all this stuff. The, the first thing I want people to be aware of is the website's not for you. The website's for your motivated house sellers. And we've tested websites with barely any copy. We've tested just landing pages versus what we call the mini site. We've tested all those things. And number one, you have to have robust content on the webpage to even have it to have a chance to rank well in Google for a phrase like, you know, sell my house fast Arlington, Texas or something like that, or Arlington in this case. Um, and with, with yours, Ryan, it looks like after you guys had launched it, a lot of the copy and a lot of the things that were there by default, these pictures are cool looking, but pretty much everything that would make a carrot site rank got taken out of it. It looks like so, um, that, and we can, gotcha. with, yeah, we can work with you on that, but ideally there's 800 to 1200 words on the page. Um, that's going to be, what's likely going to be needed to have robust enough content that Google's going to go, oh man. This is an authority in this topic. Uh, if I were to guess on that page, it's probably two to 300 yep. now, but that's an easy fix and we can work with you on that. Um, the next thing is, you know, once you launch the carrot site, because it will have a lot of content on it, just to go through and rewrite some of it yourself. You know, you can use chat GPT right now. We've actually ran tests because there is the, the, the debate, hey, is AI content good? It, it, human content's better, but we have gone through and rewritten pages with chat GPT and it's actually ranking better than just, just keeping it the stock context. It needs to be different. Um, and then a couple other quick little things. Amazing. Yeah. So make it a little bit different. Yep. It, exactly. And then a couple other little, little quick things. Um, cause I don't, we don't have time to teach SEO in detail here, but what, what I, what I always like to do is then figure out what keyword phrases are the keywords that, um, I want to rank for. And what market are you in again, um, Brian? It's Northwest Missouri. So you could say St. Joseph, Kansas City. Okay, cool. So I'm going to type up a phrase that maybe a seller might type in. Okay. Um, and let's just, I'm just going to grab a couple of these sites here. I think some of these, I know, I know some of these are definitely carrot sites that's a carrot site let's see that one's a carrot site they haven't really customized that one too much um so it looks basic you can make carrot sites look far better but that's kind of out of the box that's a carrot site so let's go ahead and grab this one the the next thing i'm going to suggest people do is start to do a little bit of research and figure out what are the people who are already ranking for the phrases that my sellers in my market might type in google what else are they ranking for so inside of our system, there's this keyword explorer. Uh, you can kind of snoop on your competitors. I just put in a competitor um, in there and it shows they're ranking really well for sell my house fast Kansas City and almost 16% of their overall traffic comes from that. So I'm going to write that one down. I'm going to go, okay, my competitor, they're ranking really well and 16% of their traffic of sellers is coming from that phrase. Go write it down. And I'm just going to go down that list and see what my top competitors are already ranking for. And then 
just follow our training to be able to to start to uh, rank for these yourselves. But Excelsior Springs is getting 4%. So I'm going to go launch an Excelsior Springs page. So every every little location, this is the last tip I'll give, and I'll toss over to you, Dave. Every little location that you buy houses in needs to have its own page. So Excelsior Springs, Missouri should have its own what we call location page, yeah. specifically about Excelsior Springs. Kansas City should have its own page. Um, and you start to build those out over time, and you really start to uh, get some really good rankings. Overland Park. So yeah, these are some of those things right there, Ryan. Create a page for independence, Overland Park. Amazing. All these things right there. Cool, cool. I could guess the hours. Thank you, Trevor. I love that that was a real world example from. <laughs> no, that was that was actually uh, deeper than I thought we would go, which I think is a good thing, and uh, that's exciting. And as we kind of zoom back out, you know, to the conclusion of the podcast, knowing that a lot of listeners are just getting started, what advice would you leave them? You know, knowing some of the challenges that may be ahead of them and uh, on their journey to financial freedom. Dude, I, I think the biggest thing, honestly, that the number one difference that I've found between people who make it and don't make it, it's not, are they smart? It's not, do they have a bunch of money? It's not any of those kinds of things. It's really grit, right? It's, it's, it's have people started to shift challenge into a positive thing? The people that see challenge as something done to them and challenge as something to avoid and pain uh, and growth as something to avoid, they're probably going to give up because they're going to go back to what was easier. They're going to go back to, oh my gosh, my job had less pain in it. Yes, it's painful over the long term. It's just going to make me so I don't be in a spot I don't want to be in for the rest of my life, but it's it's way less painful now. But the people who were able to step into pain and challenge and failure and say, okay, I'm going to reposition this in my mind that every time I, I, every time I have pain or fail, it helps me grow. I'm getting stronger. I'm getting, I'm, I'm learning things. Um, it's actually good for me. It's done for me, not to me. That's the number one thing, dude. Because when you've dropped yes. six thousand bucks on marketing and it didn't work, most people will give up. Uh, the ones that that stick with it, like a client of ours down in Dallas, Texas, Adam and Lance, they dropped forty k their first year as as an investor doing everything. They did direct mail, they did cold calling, they did some Google pay per click. All it was all over the map. They did some Facebook ads. They did everything. They did one deal at the end of the year and and broke even on their 40k. The next year, they, and they, they yeah, I'd probably say they did too many things. They did. That was their problem. That was their problem, right? And and so they probably. they talked to their wives. Yeah, I was like, "What are you doing? What we're losing all this money?" And they said, "I think we can make this work." Most people would have given up. They said, "Let's give it another year and let's focus this time." And they did. They did two marketing methods. And they said, oh, "We're going to master one." They chose to go online all, all in, but they did two marketing methods and that broke through. They're a multiple seven figure business now, um, doing a great job, but it's that one moment. Are you going to give up because you had a couple of wow. years or are you going to ship and get focused? Start with deal machine. Mm, that's right. Drive the heck out of things. Get your first number of deals going, start to build up your team on deal machine and then take some of those profits and start to bring it online. Amazing advice. You need grit to make it through those challenges. And if you want some support, Trevor's a very supportive guy. You should check him out on Instagram and it's Trevor Mock, M-A-U-C-H. And also check out carrot.com if you're wanting to put your website on your postcard and get that web presence going as a new wholesaler. Trevor, thank you so much for being with us. It truly is a pleasure. 
uh, to just get a little bit of your time because we're running a big company out there. You're helping, you said 12,000 websites for real estate investors out there. So we really appreciate it. Dude, likewise, I'm, I'm pumped about the podcast, guys. Subscribe to their podcast if you haven't already. Hit that subscribe button and share it up with people and, and help spread their work. That's right. All right, we'll see you guys on the next one. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Deal Machine Real Estate Investing Podcast. Please leave us a review and follow along wherever you're listening to your podcast.